All right. Well, good morning, guys. How y'all doing this morning? Fine. Yourself? Doing great. Doing great. Fine Monday morning with two guys who are on their off days. Mike, you're perpetually off. Marvin, yes. you're sometimes off. <laughs> at, at, at least uh, time commitment wise, yes. That's right. That's well, and right. even that's not really true. So. Good, good. Well, tell, tell me, uh, y'all sum up yesterday. Just tell me, you know, some of the things that stood out to you. Uh, yesterday was the Lord's Day. We had worship and we had our community groups. I know uh, we had the Cortez community group at our house meeting because Phil and Kim and their family were out of town. And you, you guys both were over at Dan Thomas's house, right? That's right. All yep. right. So, uh, so share with me some, some highlights of yesterday. What, what, what interesting things happened? Well, it was a good day. I mean, uh, for one thing, I mean, just, uh, see Peggy Joe and the encouragement. And again, she had the opportunity, I think, to, to share a lot of her thankfulness for the way things have fallen out for her medically, even though she's still recovering. And again, that's, that's tough from any kind of procedure, but particularly that one because it involves your digestive tract. Uh, but again, that was so encouraging. Dan get, did a good job of leading uh, the discussion. I thought uh, good participation. And I, I think, uh, um, I think, People, uh, I think people opened themselves up in in in, in helpful ways yesterday. I, I think we shared, and I think we were encouraged. At least I was. Um, uh, Mike, what what do you think of it? Uh, I thought it was a, a, a good uh, community group. I think too that uh, that uh, from your your message yesterday, Van. I mean the, uh, the 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 greater essence or the greater application for what you you did is the 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 statement was made. Have, did you notice how Van didn't ask us questions during the yeah. uh, during his message? Because it's like the what what he presented is is applicable to I mean to everyday life to 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 relationships to to marriages to 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 just life in general. So I mean uh, that was that came out during our discussions uh, uh, as well. So I mean um, it was uh, I think uh, the 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 message you gave, the importance, how you explained it, uh, uh, really took took heart to, to everyone uh, that was uh, listening and being attentive to what you were saying from the pulpit. Mm-hmm. That's wonderful. Yeah, and we had a we had a great community group as well. We uh, uh, it, it was a smaller size community group because you know with Phil and them being on, we had so many from that community group who were away, who were traveling, but. Um, but we still had a good group. We we had a we, we had enough to where we could actually sit, you know, around our dinner table. I mean, we had the like sort that. of leaf put in the middle, and right. uh, and we could just you know and enjoy our meal together. And uh, it was just interesting because uh, you know we uh, the Wittenbrooks were there, and so um, they got to share kind of you know how um, the Lord has. Uh, save them and just just get to know everyone else better and also colin was there and it was very interesting just to talk to him that uh how the lord has worked in his life as well and uh just amazing amazing things that um that the lord has done in in helping him to grow in his sanctification and to really in some ways in some areas in his life almost just hit the fast forward button i mean from the very time he was saved from the very time he was regenerated and and so when you hear those things it's just it's just a wonderful 
thing. And you just praise the Lord for that. You thank the Lord for that. And also it, I think it, it, it prompts us to not only praise the Lord, but to pray also that Lord, you know, will you do work, a work like that in, in our life where we're struggling, you know, will, will you, you know, just give us uh, by your grace, just the, the power to, to very quickly be able to kill and mortify, you know, sin in our lives. So, so it was just a wonderful time. And then of course, you know, we, we got to talk about those five qualities, you know, humility, patience, gentleness, tolerance or forbearance, and then, you know, unity. And like you, you said, Mike, I mean, those things that Paul lists right there are just everyday things. And I mean, they're the things we have to have, if we're going to have unity, especially as a church, if we're going to have unity, we have to have those things. And so I think those things should just be, you know, things that are constantly on our prayer list for ourselves, because I think God really has been good to our church by way of, of unity. Uh, and I think that, uh, part of that is that we have pressed for unity, but in some ways, I think that we have not tried to hold a preservation of unity as, as, you know, as steadfast as we could. And so in those times, I think the Lord has been good to us. I mean, we've never, ever, ever since I've been here, there's never really been like, um, something that struck at the core of the church, like, like a division, like a rift within the church body. And so I'm very thankful to the Lord for that and pray that, uh, that he continues to do that work in our lives and that we do what scripture says, that we preserve the, the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. All right. Well, what do y'all say? We talk about divine revelation. How about that? Okay. All right. We'll start off with you, Mike. Did you get a revelation yesterday? Did you get divine revelation yesterday? Are you willing to speak the word of God? Do you have a thus saith the Lord for us this morning? (laughs) I have nothing new that he has not already revealed in his word. uh, So I did, you know, from all our, the readings for these chapters were discussed, you know, there's, um, he's revealed what he's going to reveal in his word. And as we mature, I mean, he'll reveal more to us through our through our wisdom and maturity in, in his in his word but i i really enjoyed uh enjoyed these three chapters reading on the the uh, revelation you know how it talks about you know new testament old testament the the words like mm-hmm. what you mentioned does say at the lord but just how he went in there and explained general revelation and uh and uh, tied it into uh, how the bible presents general revelation and then going into specific, and then he he spent time on the uh, 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 the specific or supernatural, the uh, Im, impli- what was it implied uh, implied um, you know the, the spirit after one comes oh, yeah, to know the Lord, revelation. the implied revelation, and then how he went into that, and the the beauty of you know, and I was just thinking about it. Um, the beauty is on the general revelation. You know, you think about, and it, it gets into that. Com, I guess common grace. Everybody uh, in the ha, receives the sun. Everybody receives the benefits of rain and all that stuff. But just, just all that we know, even the unbelievers, they work and accomplish these great things. It's not them that's doing it. It's what's been revealed to them in the general revelation. I mean, I I, I really enjoyed uh, uh, him highlighting and bring bringing out all the the. Uh, 
the blessings, I guess, of general revelation to, to all mankind, as well as the specific to those that, that hear and respond and, and draw and are drawn near to him for his calling. Yeah, that's true. And Marvin, I'd, I'd like to get your comment on this too, but Mike, now that you hit on it, that's one of the things that really stood out to me. I mean, in, in so many uh, systematic theology books I know I've read of, and just reading just in general on divine revelation, you always read about general revelation, you know, God's God's works and creation, how it reveals him. And then you always read about special revelation, how we have that clear word from God on you know, uh, the gospel. And, and I've always been, uh, I've always heard just sort of in short fashion that, uh, general revelation is enough to damn a person and we need special revelation to learn how a person can be saved. But the interesting thing to me, and I, I don't know if I've ever read this in any other systematic theology book and Marvin, I'll, I'd love to hear what you have to say, but what you talked about, Mike applied revelation, you know, it's always been two, you know, even Calvin talked about the two books of God, general revelation, special revelation, but with applied revelation, having an understanding of God's revelation and Beaky's very quick to say, we're not talking about an addition of content here. We're not talking about, we get content, uh, revelational content from general revelation and creation. We get revelational content from special revelation in the word of God. And then there's a third way we get content from revelation. He's saying, no, when it comes to applied revelation, it's the same content, but we see it with new eyes. We yes, can understand yeah. it with new eyes. Marvin, have you ever seen the, that third aspect? I think this is new to me. Well, I mean, I was going to remark on that as well, uh, is, but I think, I think that goes along with the whole spirit of the book so far as I've as I've read it, um, is that it, unless my memory's faulty, which as you know, in our correspondence <laughs> this morning, it has been on three or four occasions, <laughs> but every, every section ends with a doxological sec, uh, section. Uh, why does this cause us to praise? Uh, no matter what it is, I mean, it's at the end. And, and I think that I thought was very good. And he, he, he kind of, I think, playfully called it existential <laughs> revelation as well. And again, that's that's a loaded psycho, uh, philosophical term. But I do understand it's kind of like when people talk about experimental, as they say, or, or experiential Calvinism. Uh, in other words, it's uh, it's doctrine lived out. But I, I, I do agree. I'm, I don't know that I've ever explicitly... I think probably it's baked into the bread somewhere later on, but in terms yeah. of bringing it up front and talking about it in, in terms of revelation, I think it's, I've never seen it like that before. And I think it's very helpful. And I think, again, that's part of his whole uh, pastoral approach to that. Um, and I, uh, and, uh, and it helps, I think really when he goes uh, even though he hasn't gotten there yet to wed the two of those together. I mean, he makes a point in there in that general revelation is real knowledge. Uh, and that we are created in such a way to where, uh, to where we have the facilities to know it, uh, and to not do so is a willful suppression of the truth. And so therefore I think again, not to get into apologetics, but I think that, uh, it does have a lot to do with apologetics in terms of, uh, in terms of uh, starting with the premise that you do know God, uh, 
right. that you're that you are created and hardwired to know God. Uh, that in terms of the way God reveals Himself in nature, uh, it not only it not only assures you uh, or gives you adequate knowledge uh, in order to make that determination, but as Beaky says, it also it also demonstrates many uh, many of His attributes as well. I mean, they're just kind of baked into it, and the only the way God created us, and I think he, he does a good a good uh, job of this on the section on uh, <clears throat> philosophy and science, the way he's created us actually is as, as uh, people who made in his image who, who think and wonder uh, in, in a good sense of that. And... Uh, seek knowledge wherever it may be found. And I think he does a good job of telling us that even though, even though these studies often go off the rails, I think they're, they're still helpful to us in the sense that they, they do demonstrate a knowledge there. So, yeah, I was, I was impressed with that as well. And, uh, think that, that again, is consistent with this whole approach. And I think makes this, a. <clears throat> A systematic theology unlike ever any I've, I've read before right right well mike uh i want to read a quote from Beaky, and then i want to toss it over to you and just ask you if uh you know getting into general revelation he starts talking about how general revelation reveals god and starting on page 197 he gives uh, a whole list of uh of, of different ways God is revealed. I think he gives like eight of them in like short little succinct, mostly right. like one paragraph, uh, you know, sort of descriptions. Uh, would you mind going through those and just, uh, and just commenting, you know, as you will, as you walk through the seven or eight things he has there. But before you sure. do that, I, I want to, uh, I just want to read this quote, you know, as we were talking about uh, applied revelation, uh, this is what uh, Beaky says about that. He says, uh, uh, beginning on page 184 at the very bottom, he says, first, divine revelation through God's work is called general revelation because, as Musculus said, and I love that Musculus, he was a reform, his first name, Wolfgang. You can't beat that, right? <laughs> Wolfgang Musculus. He says, Musculus said, quote, it is so set forth to all people of all nations that no man can excuse himself for not knowing God. So that's, that's general revelation. Yeah. Everyone knows God through general revelation. Then he says, second, God has revealed himself by word and speaking, even from the beginning of the world until the days of the new Testament. This is special revelation because it happened not so to every nation, but first to Israel. And then after the coming of Christ, it is preached to the nations. And then he says, third, Musculus referred to the secret revelation of the Holy Spirit granted only to the elect so that they have a most certain knowledge of God, even a feeling and taste of him. This applied revelation does not bring additional content to God's general and special revelation, for God has revealed no new doctrine since the completion of the New Testament. Rather, the inner work of the Spirit accompanies the preaching of the word to illuminate the heart and makes people fervent to consider the works of God and to lift up their ears to hear God speak in his word. And so again, I thought that was just a wonderful, 
description of those three different things. Here's what general revelation is. We see it in creation. Everyone sees it. So everyone is privy to that revelation. And so they are without an excuse as far as denying God. There is a God. They see the revelation. You know, you, you can't deny it. All you can really do is suppress it, according to Romans 1. And then there's a special revelation, and that tells us how we can know this God who has revealed himself in general revelation, how we can come to a saving knowledge of him. And then with applied revelation, that is, as he says, to the elect only, to those who would come to know Christ as Lord and Savior, because we've been renewed, we've been regenerated, we have this Holy Spirit of God living within us. Now we can understand the content of general revelation, what we see in creation, the content of special revelation, what we read in God's word. Now we can understand it in a way that we never could being a lost person. And so I, I just thought that that, that was very clear is very uh, written in such a way that, that I could just really get my arms around that. So as he says that he moves now into general revelation and then he talks about, okay, well, as we're talking about general revelation, we're talking about God's works and creation. How does God reveal himself in creation? What are the different things that God is doing as he reveals himself in creation? And so Mike, you want to run down some of those descriptions, brother? Okay. The, the first, uh, <clears throat> the first he gives <clears throat> starting with the general revelation, the divine nature, uh, he, it says it, he reveals or it reveals God to a limited degree. Paul speaks of that, which may be known to God. And there he, he gets back into, I believe he's in the Ro, uh, Romans chapter uh, one, verse 17, uh, where that, uh, that the, 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 the nature is a witness that testifies of the existence of God and man can see this and he suppresses it. But, you know, so that's the, the general revelation. And I guess it goes to prove uh, back at the very beginning, I think of chapter 10, the quote was um, man has turned away from God or rejected God. But before man can do that, he, we have to prove or su uh, substantiate that man knows God or knew that God existed. So that's what this does. This, this uh, um, proves that God exists, that there is a God through the witness of our of general revelation. Uh, which they which they also call general revelation. He called natural revelation. Mm -hmm. So I mean, the, from the revelation, he, he, he used different words. And within the natural or within the general revelation, he said there is a natural revelation where nature uh, itself um, uh, informs man and drives man and and his knowledge of things. Um, the uh, next one reveals God in open and plain matter. Uh, there again, there's no mysteries. It's not really telling any secrets. It's like of a general nature. Um, there, are, uh, I like the way you say it. It, it. With general revelation, it doesn't require any special technology. It doesn't require any special tools. It's it's clear, and it's it's in a uh, uh, you can see it. I mean, you can read it. It's it's in front of you. It's I mean, it's plain. It's as plain as the nose on your face, and so therefore you can't deny it. It's there, right? Um, and and if if there had to be some special tool or had to be some, some uh, initiatory knowledge, some secret higher knowledge for us yeah. to gain access to general revelation, then you couldn't put out the blanket statement that everyone has access to general. Everyone sees who God is in creation. Yeah. But that's not the case. So everyone is accountable. Yeah. And uh, he, he mentioned in there, I can't remember exactly uh, words, but he, uh, as far as a tool for evangelism with general, using general revelation to evangelize, I mean, it's not the, it's to show 
people um, uh, what they what they need in in corresponding to the the uh, a, a, a majestic and holy God. I mean, when you look at at the at the general revelation of, of witness of His existence. I mean, so. I like that part of, of his uh, of the chapter that where he talks about using it as an evangelistic tool. Um, it reveals God's will according to it reveals God according to His will, um, and it, it this gets back into uh, the God. What Marvin was saying, I think he was saying as well, as uh, in in art, in every individual when we're created, we have sown into us um, uh, the ability to, to 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 reason to think. Uh, and as, as we learned from Marvin in his two classes, that with the conscious to, 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 to determine and saying this is right, this is wrong. Um, and uh, I think it was, um, and there he quoted John Calvin. He said, the final goal of the blessed life uh, rests in the knowledge of God, least anyone be excluded from access to happiness. So, I mean, he reveals himself uh, and discloses himself in the workmanship of his nature. So men, so men are again without uh, uh, men is a consequence of men cannot open their eyes without being compelled to see him. So even if you try to turn your back away from it, you, you, you're still not excused. I mean, uh, you're compelled to see the wonders of a, of a higher of God, you know, and for the individual that doesn't believe in God, you know, there it's there. I mean, there is a God, this thing doesn't happen by uh, happenstance. It reveals the invisible God is number four. Um, and I guess on that, the, um, um, it's, um, it, it's, I guess it would be intuitive. One would see this and we can't see God, but we can see God in God's creation. If that makes sense. Uh, I'm not, I don't, um, we have the, the ability to, to reason. I mean, God's given that to us. Um, and I think it was either in this book or another book we read when 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 God created man. I mean we, I mean we were created in the image of God. But for the fall, uh, the the attributes that man had uh, were um, the, that uh, in the image of God, like God, but was broken. But we we still have some of those uh, uh, character traits or abilities that God gave man originally before the fall, but. Uh, they have been shattered, but not not where they're destroyed, and that's all about what God is doing to restore us to regeneration, uh, our our uh, sanctification process. But uh, I'm not, I don't know where I was going with that. But uh, uh, the, uh, the it's the invisible God. I mean, we we know Him, and we uh, and we recognize that there is a God. I mean, so that 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 in being in sown into us. Uh, these invisible things are clearly seen to us because we are created. I think in the image of God, I think, I think creation going back to Genesis, it all plays into this. I mean, it's it starts with Genesis, the creation creation is, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't uh, very briefly. Uh, I think you're exactly right. And I think one of the points he makes, which is so helpful to me is that Adam and Eve uh, pre-fall actually had, we think of general revelation in the sense that you're talking about as uh, as providing uh, as providing the knowledge of God, and indeed it does. Uh, but he but he also makes the point that they also required special revelation as well. Yeah. Uh, and they and because again, I mean, God spoke to them, and again, that is the basis. That is the basis of 
of special revelation is verbal, it's words, whereas uh, whereas general is more revelatory. Of, uh, it, it, it's a kind of a, a reflection on what we see. And to, to, to use an illustration I know that's often used, uh, if you're walking along a country road and you see a turtle on top of a fence post, you know he didn't get there by himself. <laughs> uh, and so that, that I think is a large part of this as well. That's a part of the fall. Uh, the natural man, the, the unconverted man looks at that and he knows that's the case. Uh, he, he has a, he has a natural curiosity about, okay, who put that turtle up there? Uh, where did he go? And, and so forth. But in terms of driving that back, uh, uh, into a knowledge of God himself and to talk about larger uh, issues in terms of causation and things like that. I mean, it's just, a, well, I'm, I, I'll stop with that. But again, I mean, I, that uh, those three aspects of the knowledge before the fall, I think is powerful in the sense that when we talk about Christ, the second Adam, how that indeed all three of those, you see them in him. But in addition to that, they also, uh, by his work on the cross and the new birth, they also are brought back into our lives as well. Yep. The, yes, thank you. Yeah. Uh, the other one, number five, was it reveals God's divine nature. I mean, when you when we read the, I mean, just in, in his word, when again, uh, in Romans chapter one, it talks about God's divine nature, his deity, but uh, his goodness, his greatness, but um, and, and, and then there, Paul blames and puts the blame on man for failing to glorify God because they suppressed the truth and failed to give him thanks. And they, they rather just uh, uh, wallow in their own sin and, and, and celebrate in their sinful nature. Uh, it reveals God throughout history from the creation of the world. Uh, again, in, in, in that, you know, we, there are verbs, I mean, that he uses. Uh, uh, it's clearly seen. Uh, it, we, we, everybody understands because we have that, the, the ability to reason and to, and to understand because God gave that to us and we, and we still, uh, we still have that. Um, and, uh, and, and, and the, in that, when he, when he talks about, they're clearly seen, understood. He's again, he's back in Romans. Uh, it's implying it's continuous action. So it's not just one time or one thing, one time event. This is a continuous process uh, that, that is ongoing all the time. So, um, and again, it's, it's, it's also saying that God is continually, uh, God continually acts to display his divine attributes. I mean, we see that throughout history. We, uh, so, I mean, it's a continuous process and it re reveals God through his created world, uh, the things that are, that are made, and then I, um, again, this gets back into, I mean, the, uh, the invisible qualities God revealed in himself in his works and science. And this is what I really uh, took, you know, I was talking about earlier. Uh, it's in this, uh, he says, the invisible God has revealed himself through his works, which our senses constantly pursue. Um, and then uh, I just, uh, I mean, I went back in and I, during my reading, and, you know, he talked about Romans 9, you know, 1. But then again, he talked about Psalm 19, how Psalm 19 through God's word, the general, general and specific revelation. And so I went through uh, Psalm, uh, Psalm 19 and just looked at it. And it's, you know, it, 
it just contains uh, examples. And again, this gets back into the Old Testament and New Testaments, uh, the wording of, of, of how, how it declares in uh, general and specific, and even the actions after, I guess it would be that applied revelation. Mm-hmm. But in verses one through six, we see uh, the general revelation by, you know, by his works or the creation and that nature uh, goes out to all. I mean, so all are, this, this, this general revelation is to all all people, all nations. And then when you look at verses seven through, uh, through nine, uh, we see the special revelation of, through God's own speech, you know, his word, his testimony, his precepts, his commandments. Uh, and then that moves into the, the, I guess what I, I think, and I could be off here. So correct me if I'm, if I'm misspeaking, but I, to me, this looks like the applied revelation. It's what is the result of that, that enlightenment? What well, it, it turns the writer, you know, of, of, of this, of this Psalm into, into prayer, the, the love of God's word, listening to this, uh, 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 thanksgiving for the grace of sanctification, uh, the, uh, longs to, uh, please God and, and, in his works and in his life. So, and it, it shows a trust. So I, I, I really liked how he walked through Psalm 19 showing general specific. And I, and in my opinion, I think I, in my analysis, I, I thought I saw the applied on the last part of Psalm 19. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Thanks, Mike. And that, that really does show us, you know, how God has revealed himself and, and, and his purposes in general revelation and how he's done that. And, and, and Marvin, I want to ask you, and, uh, and I want to point something out though, before I turn it over to you, but, but he ends this chapter by basically saying, okay, taking what Mike said, this is general revelation. Now, how does this fit into the world of unsaved man and the world of the church? How, how do we, uh, what do we do with, with general revelation? How, how does general revelation uh, facilitate itself in both of those different contexts. But one of the things I just want to point out real quick, because if I don't, I'm, I might forget it, but uh, you, you've been teaching the last two Sundays on, on the conscience. And that's one of the things where we see with general revelation. We oftentimes we think of just what is outside God's created right. world, but God has also revealed himself uh, in an inward witness in the conscience. Yeah. And, uh, and, and Beaky addresses something that I know I wrestled with, um, years ago. Well, I mean, I'm old now. It may, it may have been over a decade ago by now, but, um, I always had, uh, until I had time to really take some time to look at it and study it, I always had questions about the, the law of God being written on the heart of man. And, and I would always hear two different things. I would always hear, okay, well, on the one hand, it's part of being created in the Imago day created in the image of God, that you've got this moral uh, witness in your heart, just by virtue of being created as a human being in God's image. And you know, the law of God. And we see that even where uh, Paul describes the Gentiles, you know, where they don't have the law, you know, as, as, as the Jews had it, you know, on tablets of stone, you know, as they do the works of the law, they are a law unto themselves. And he's talking about that inner witness of the law. But, but where the confusion would come would be that when we talk about, you know, for example, the new covenant, and we talk about Jeremiah and Jeremiah 34, the promises of the new covenant, where, you know, the law of God uh, will be written on your hearts. 
that was always confusing to me because I would always say, well, I thought we already had the law of God written on our hearts. So, so there's one instance, you know, where creation being created in the modern day, we have the law of God written in our hearts, but yet there's also a sense in which new creation, we have the law of God written in our hearts. And I never really could get the, the distinction in what sense do we have it rewritten on our hearts? And I think Beaky really gives a good explanation of it here. And uh, it took me some time to kind of understand this and come to it, but he deals with it in a very succinct way. So, so I just wanted to point this out in case if anyone's listening, they have the same question as well. But at the top of page 203, he says this, he says the quote work of the law written in our, in their hearts, does not refer to the saving work of the Holy Spirit, Romans 2.29, but to the common possession of mankind by nature. Murray said, and this, this is John Murray, Murray said, quote, by nature is contrasted with what is derived from external sources and refers to that which is engraven on our natural constitution, end quote. It is important to distinguish this from the supernatural writing of the law, upon the heart, Jeremiah 31, 33. I think I said Jeremiah 34 before, right? I mean, yeah, Jeremiah 31. And he says this, the latter is a saving grace given by the regenerating spirit through the word to produce a person who delights to do God's will. The former is a gift by creation to all mankind apart from God's word and compatible with unrepentant sin. And so therein is the distinction. How is the law of God written on a heart in creation? It's written on a heart. It's written in the conscience so that we know what is right. We know what is good. We know the things that we ought to do and the things we ought not to do. And, and it is, as he says, compatible with the unrepentant. What we should do is we should see that law. We should understand we don't measure up to that law, and that should drive us to Christ. The law has always been considered to be a tutor that leads us to Christ. But to talk about the law written on the heart in a way in which someone is a new creation in Christ, a believer, that is the only person who delights in the law. The other person hates the law of God and they transgress the law of God, but only in the capacity yeah. where we've been regenerated from above, we've been renewed in our heart and we have the Holy spirit indwelling us. Can we have the law of God written on our heart in the sense that we delight in it? We long to do it. We long to follow it. And it grieves our hearts when we fall short of following that law. So for me, uh, years ago, that was an important distinction I made. Again, it was a confusing thing uh, as I would read about, you know, certain things, you know, the law written on our heart as, as being a created human being, a created person, and yet the law being written on our heart when we come to Christ and we're converted. And so that, uh, that really just straightens that out you know, for me. So, so brother, if you have any comment on that, please go ahead. I know you're teaching on the conscience. <clears throat> you were teaching on the conscience and all that the last two Sundays. Uh, but then also speak to how he ends his chapter and how he talks about general revelation in regard to the lost man and in regard to the okay. church, the saved. If you yeah. Will. Let me, let me comment briefly on what you just said. I mean, I agree. I think it was a, a helpful distinction and to understand that Jeremiah 31 is talking, is talking about the new covenant. Uh, there'll be an, uh, and that's the way Jeremiah and Ezekiel both describe it is uh, it's a, 
radical breakthrough in revelation. Uh, uh, and we're talking about special revelation in the sense that not, not something that's known from nature. But again, I mean, it's uh, as the prophets again are called to preach a message that will be universally rejected in the midst of that, to have that great that great gospel assurance and promise there that one day and as the new covenant and i would say as a condition of the new covenant that god must not only forgive our sins but he must also prepare our hearts for discipleship prepare our hearts to obey him and the only way that happens and we talk about in new testament terms as the indwelling of the holy spirit in our small groups yesterday we were talking about patience and long-suffering and all that basically it, it, at least it reminded me of Paul's uh, discussion in Galatians of the fruit of the spirit, how all these things are a part of that. But I would say that's even that's even a, an extension of uh, the the law being written on the heart. It's it's something that as a part of the new covenant, as a part of regeneration, it not only is our hope in terms of sanctification, but it's a gospel assurance as well that God is at work in our, in our lives and our hearts. Okay. To address the, the, the second, uh, how he, uh, ends the chapter here, um, the twofold, uh, approach. And again, sound like a broken record. We all do in, the, in our appreciation of how he puts this, but he says, um, in terms of our use of it, uh, to the outside world, uh, is he describes it as a missiological use, uh, which means that, uh, as you and Mike were both stating, um, is that it is a another way of saying that uh, it is a, it is a use to uh, by the work by the work of the law, um, both as, in the gospel and in special revelation but equally fundamentally as he's talking about here in terms of the natural knowledge that you pervert and 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 uh, and and deny uh as that um it's the basis it's the basis of of talking of using this natural this general revelation or this natural revelation to bring an unconverted person in a missiological sense uh, to contend with their own hearts. And again, mm-hmm. it, it is, it is their conscience. Uh, that's the thing is about, uh, we all have a conscience. We're all born with a conscience. I believe it's, uh, I believe it, uh, as John says in the first chapter of his gospel, uh, Jesus is the light. The word is the light of all who come into the world. And I believe that that's the, that's that element there is, uh, that there is that knowledge and, bringing bringing that around i think is really uh in terms of missions in terms of evangelism it really is a very really is a, a very helpful distinction uh i was thinking again as i was as i was going through this this morning uh that this is begging for a discussion of the traditional arguments for the existence of god mm-hmm. and uh and i i i Again, I have not read ahead, but I went over to the next section and saw the excursus and I, and I saw yeah. the title. I said, that, well, that's exactly where he does that. But again, not to get too far down the weeds on this, but the, I know, man, you and I have had discussion about this in terms of uh, the apologetic uh, emphasis here. 
Uh, and we're here, to, and we're talking about in the traditional arguments for God. We're talking about uh, basically uh, arguments from causation, arguments mm -hmm. from a great, from the greatest possible being, uh, arguments uh, uh, towards the greatest end, uh, and so forth. In other words, they are the things that, in natural revelation, we argue back from, or we reason back from, uh, like the the turtle on the fence post. I mean, it's not just we've stopped too short i mean in a in in an allegorical or in a uh, basically in, in an analogy we stopped too short to talk about okay who put him up there but again there are a whole host of questions that emerge from that uh that we that we come across in our own lives as well whenever our conscience accuses us uh and particularly as as an unbeliever i mean we all came to that point in our lives where um we were faced with the fact uh, that we had an accusing heart. And I know in my own case, I was faced with the fact that everything I'd ever known was wrong. Mm. I mean, and, and the most important things in life. Yeah. And, and I think that's a great use of the law here. Uh, the second thing is, he says, again, as we talked about earlier, the church's doxological use of general revelation. Can he winds up everything with doxology. But I think in this case, I thought this was an interesting aspect of it as well. I mean, it, it it's something that certainly feeds into it. Uh, but the idea here that, uh, that as Christians, that as regenerate believers, that we benefit from general revelation as well, not as a way of conviction and not as a way uh, in an indirect light actually to to bear an impression of a witness upon us. But indeed, as we've already said, I think it goes to that third category of revelation that we've talked about in the fact that uh, not only do we have special revelation to make us wise in the salvation, but also general revelation in the sense that now we can truly, whenever we see this, we see, we see the entire world as the, as, as the display of God's glory. And it speaks to us in the language in the language of of uh, of nature, uh, and it speaks to us in the language that uh, that that is in line with our own experience, uh, empir empirical experience, if you will. And I know he gets into this in a later chapter, but mm -hmm. um, but I, I think in that sense, then it's a wonderful blessing to us. Mm -hmm. Uh, to go out onto a starry night, particularly if you go way out where city lights don't don't dim the sky, uh, and to look up and to just be awestruck. I know everybody, everybody to some extent sees that, but as we've said, the natural man suppresses that. But for the Christian, I mean, in seeing that, uh, to know that not only does God exist, but we also know. Uh, that he's revealed himself to us that the god of creation is the god of salvation mm -hmm. that 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 covenant that we broke with him he actually has restored uh and in that we now have not only the grounds to acknowledge his his uh, to acknowledge to uh, to acknowledge uh him through his creation but also to praise him for that as well because it just it's interpreted in light of what he's revealed in his word and also what he's done in our heart as well and in application of that. 
I like the way John Murray with that book that I read early on, uh, Redemption Accomplished and Applied, and I'm and I'm thinking about that here as well, is how that another way of saying that is that it just transforms our entire worldview to where truly a, a, a Christian or a person who's been saved by the grace of God can see everything with new eyes yeah. and, and now doesn't have to fight against it and doesn't have to suppress it. Uh, but now can openly confess it in, as he says, in doxology and praise and glory to God. So I, I think it's a great way to end that section. Uh, and I think it's uh, a great way to talk about uh, the way the church can make use of that natural revelation. Right, right. Excellent. Well, listen, uh, Mike, I want to ask you this before we actually step out of this chapter into the next one. I just want you to give you know any any concluding thoughts you have just on general revelation just in in, in general you know <laughs> and uh and and then we'll step over into the next chapter and, and marvin i want to ask you if you'll lead us into the next chapter because we're talking about general revelation and philosophy and so when we talk about philosophy you are the philosophy man it is your uh strong suit it is your uh, Bailey Wick, it is in your wheelhouse. Can I come up with any more metaphors? <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, You're on a roll, man. You're on yeah, a roll. I know, I know. Yeah, I'm hot, don't, I'm hot, don't, don't, don't strain a vocal cord here. <laughs> yeah. But before we do that and go into that section, uh, Mike, what, what, what do you have to say just in general about, uh, about, you know, what he's talked about with general revelation or even just, you know, your, your own thoughts concerning the, the whole matter yeah. and how it relates to, to just <clears throat> practical daily life. I know Marvin touched on it, you know, in the big realms of the saved and unsaved, but, you know, as you bring it down, maybe even your experience with how yeah. that has played into your life, whether it's been through evangelism or, or through praise just as a believer. Yeah. Uh, I'll talk about uh, from what what we've uh, what the chapter states about what he's written about general revelation. To me, it's he's just to me what the, this really called out or came out to me. The importance is is the importance of general revelation. I mean, general revelation uh, that 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 uh, witness, that are testifying their uh, God's nature and God's creation, testifying to His existence. I mean, uh, to me, it's just the reality of that, the importance of that. I mean, it's important that that uh, uh, the general revelation does have a, a purpose and a uh, according to God's plan. I mean, to reveal that, hey, God does exist. Um, and uh, I, I like the way he talks about the general general revelation and the importance of it as far as for uh, for for all, for all nations, all man, you know, that through the out excuse and in my own experience, you know, with the, the general revelation and then uh, even after, after becoming a believer uh, through regeneration, it's just the awesomeness. You know, you, you look at it before believer, you say, man, you know, this is a beautiful world and our country in which we live. But after, you know, after you come to a saving faith, you look at creation, you're, you, you just, you know, you look at it and you say, this didn't happen by accident. This is the, the God's creation is beautiful. So it, it magnifies, um, you know, my life, uh, the general revelation has been magnified and takes on a, uh, and I'm not, it takes on a greater um, impact, a greater, um, um, a greater significance when you look at it from a believer's point of view at that. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. oh, it does. Yeah. yeah. Basically, yeah. you're open to 
a larger explanation for it, which again, yeah. God gives us. You don't have to wonder about it anymore. I mean, God hasn't fully revealed it, but he has revealed that and, and more uh, and everything that we need to know. That's a great insight. Yeah. And you know what I was thinking as I was reading this, I was thinking about, you know, when you think about the immensity of, of general revelation and just and the things that we know, but, but also I think we can give praise to God for the things that we don't know, the things that God has created, whether it's out in the farthest reaches of whatever expanse creation is that we can't see out to, or whether it's in the deepest, darkest trench in the, in the ocean floor bottom that we'll never get down to, that we'll never see just the thought of that even I think is praiseworthy that God, your, your, your general revelation is so expansive. There are things that we probably will never know about that, but yet we give you praise for that. And I think also it just speaks to how God delights in his own creation. You think about the days of creation, when he completed it, he looked at it and said, it's good. And as he looks at his own creation, it's almost like uh, holding up a mirror to himself where the, the creation itself is mirroring back his glory. And it's, it's as it were, God is able to just feast upon his own glory being revealed back to him in his creation. And again, all those aspects that we as human beings will never see, but, but God just created it for his own delight and for his own glory. And so, uh, you know, when we think of it, it's, it's, it's so big, it's so expansive. And, and, and to really run away from that, and to say there's not a God who did all that, you have to do a Romans one. You have to suppress it, yeah. suppress it, suppress it. And even as you're suppressing it, your inner witness, your inner conscience is saying you're suppressing it. You know, I mean, yeah. you, you just can't get away from it. I think somewhere in, in this chapter, he said uh, something to the effect that, uh, you know, a, a belief in God, you know, a belief in a creator is the most natural thing that a man can do. I mean, yep. he just knows, yep. he just knows. Yep. So, Well, it's certainly the most common sense thing you could do. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah, I mean, that's it. I mean, and again, that, that accords with, with creation. So yeah, both, both those are great points. Yeah. All right, brother, lead us into the world of philosophy, but as you do, let me just point one thing out here that, that you had brought up, uh, before. And, uh, I just want to kind of get this cat out of the bag and I thank God that this is true. But if you look on page 216, as he's talking about philosophy in general, the first thing he says is this. Number one, it is not necessary. Speaking of philosophy, it is not necessary in order to know and glorify God. Right. And I thank the Lord for that, that yep. we don't have to, you know, uh, know all the different intricacies of Aristotelian or Socratic or, you know, any of those philosophies, Greek philosophy to know God. Now, again, I mean, he's going to go into how some of these things can be helpful, but at the end of the day, God is revealed in his word and we can know him through his word. So brother, let me toss it to you, Marvin, take it away. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, that's a, that's a great point to start out with is that, is that it's not necessary. <laughs> And as an evidence of that, I mean, historically, uh, philosophy uh, has, at least in the old schools, has been described as the handmaiden of theology. Mm. Uh, and I think that's a good way to think of it, uh, is the fact that uh, as we're studying theology, and at this point, we've gotten to the point of revelation, 
we do understand that it raises some ultimate questions that not only do we have and which God has answered to some degree in his word, at least enough, at least enough for our salvation and our sanctification. Uh, but it also uh, raises questions that as a matter of, as a matter of general revelation have occurred to other people as well. And that, I think that's what he's getting at in this chapter um, is that those questions having come up, they very often are dealt with in, a, in an unsatisfactory way mm. uh, is because, and this is the way I put it, that basically both the philosopher and the science basically outpunt their coverage. <laughs> uh, yeah, they, uh, they leave big holes in it because they're, they're going too far. I mean, they, they're trying to, they're trying to, uh, uh, they're trying to defend and, and just going way beyond what they're justified to do that. And in doing right. so, not only not, not, do they not only leave great holes in their arguments, uh, in things through which to use another football analogy, we can drive a truck through, uh, but by the same token, I mean, it, it, it also, uh, demonstrates the fact of what a, what a vain confidence they have in their ability to do that. But again, I mean, picking up on that, um, I think on the bottom of two fifteen, I think he has a, um, he has a helpful thing in the last chapter. He says philosophy has a long, diverse history. First, it's rooted in the ancient polytheistic and pantheistic cultures of nations such as Egypt, Greece, Rome, India, Persia, and China, uh, which is true. I mean, basically, the first levels of philosophy had to do with the, the perennial problem of the one and the many. Um, we see we see many. Uh, uh, and we have to, many in the sense that we see many forces, many influences. And so in the ancient world, I mean, the question is, do we try to account in terms of a deity for each cause separately? Or do we, or do we go behind that and we look for the one cause behind it. And he says that's the second phase, basically. He says it was developed in monotheistic directions by ancient and medieval Jews, Christians, and Muslims. Uh, but then thirdly, I think, and this is most importantly, and I think this kind of encapsulates a good bit of the chapter here. He says it was modified and often secularized in modern forms of rationalism, empiricism, idealism, existentialism, pragmatism, analytic philosophy, postmodernism, and so on. There's the outpunning. There's the outpunning of your coverage there, I think, uh, is that we reached. And, and again, uh, I want to go back to the last section when he had a discussion of Immanuel Kant and the distinction between the phenomena and the noumena. Uh, phenomena are basically the things that, that are available to our senses. Um, he says we can know those, and this is his this is his bowing to uh, David Hume on this. Uh, Hume had seemingly a, a, an insurmountable argument um, against God on the basis of the of the realm of causation, and so Kant really says that okay, I'll grant that point there, uh, but then he talks about the noumena that that is those things that are not 
known by physical senses. They're not known empirically. Uh, he says we can't get to the bottom of those. And I mention that because it, because it, it has been really uh, in terms of modern theology, and I'm not talking about modern evangelical theology, theology but I'm talking about the world theology in general. Uh, it has been kind of the stake driven in the ground that theologians that theologians navigate around, and that is that we really can't have a sure word or a sure knowledge of anything beyond sense experience, that we can stake by faith a claim in it. Uh, but in terms of using the same methods in order to get at it that we do, say, for instance, sense experience and science and so forth, we, we can't get at it like that. And so that's why I think that we see all of these modern forms. Uh, and it's a rogues list there that he has rationalism, empiricism, and so forth. The things that we see today and the things that uh, if we talk to someone about belief in God, these are some form of these are going to be the explanatory uh, framework that they're going to use as well. I mean, I can't believe in anything I can't see. Um, God must be greater than which no other can be thought. It says, well, I can. I can think of something greater, you know, uh, and so, and we go on and on into the traditional arguments. Um, going on then into the end of the chapter, I think, um, I think that first point that you noted, Van, is very, very important, uh, is that's not necessary in order to know and glorify God, but kind of picking up, but kind of picking up on the theme from the last chapter that we talked about it's useful in two ways. One is it describes in another way, the categories that theology, that theology addresses and tries to uh, get down and describe those in, in uh, on the ground or in primary ways. Uh, but secondly, um, it can also as a way of discovering knowledge that as Beaky says here, uh, it can, it can be very helpful to us uh, in restating a lot of these, a lot of these problems in a way that is very helpful. And he says there, uh, he says every realm of philosophy um, uh, should be appreciated for the truth that comes from it as a matter of a special or general or, or natural revelation and particularly uh, logic. Uh, logic is a, uh, is a wonderful tool for us when rightly used in order to assess, uh, sound and unsound arguments, for instance, uh, it helps us in discovering doctrines that are true and false, not that they're completely rational, but they are, but they're not irrational. And so I think it helps us in, in that regard. Uh, we even, even talks about the fact that, uh, uh, Paul, uh, even uh, talks about or references pagan philosophers, particularly in his address in Acts 17 on Mars Hill. That's a classic. Uh, uh, it's a classic passage that talks about uh, his use of the Stoic philosophers and things in order to make a connection in the things that those philosophers affirm uh, with it, with the, again, with the problem of the one and the many the Romans or the uh, Greeks in it, or yeah, the Romans at this point, or the Greek, actually he's in Greece, uh, the Greco-Roman world, I would, I would say, uh, is still taken up, is, is still taken up with the, uh, um, is still taken up with the idea of the many, 
basically they have gods. They are not monotheistic. Uh, but it's interesting that even the uh, Epicurean philosopher said that this is foolish uh, to ascribe or to offer sacrifices to gods uh, when there's no need to uh, in terms of the unifying the unifying factor that many that many philosophers see as an explanatory mechanism faulty though it may be I mean uh, very quickly without explaining proposes systems of thought antithetical to the gospel again this is the care we must take it may be used only with radical biblical critique I think that's a fair warning uh, when Paul in Colossians talks about uh, beware of vain philosophies again we understand that in context because there were some there was philosophical sleight of hand being used as uh, the whole area of Gnosticism was being introduced and was watering down the gospel. And we see a revival of that in modern times as well. And uh, the pseudo yeah, so, go ahead. So if I can jump in here. So, so basically, you know, that point you just made, you know, use radical biblical critique. Right. So when we see Paul on Mars Hill, he's not, even though he quotes philosophers, he's right. not adopting their philosophy no. wholesale. He's actually bringing, you know, he, he'll, he'll make the touch. He'll make the contact yep. with a philosophy where it's true, but then he will critique it and he will yep. correct it as it, as it goes through. And I think that's the important thing to understand that, yeah. like you said, even though uh, they do discover truth about God, we need to understand that they're headed toward a way that really ultimately does not lead to a knowledge of God because right. they're natural man. And, right. and, and I love this quote at the bottom of that same page. Uh, Beaky says this, he says, human philosophy starts with a mixture of truth from general revelation mm -hmm. and error from human darkness. I yeah. love that. So we do have truth. I mean, they look no. at general revelation well, and they is. can see what everybody they sees. They, they, they see, they, what they we see truth, see. but yet with their darkened minds, what do they now do with that truth? Does it lead them to repentance? Does it lead them to God? And many times in, in history with philosophers, we've seen, no, absolutely not. And then he says this, he says, men's corruption ensures that error grows and truth is not rightly applied. Yep. So, so yeah, they're, they're getting that truth. And that's where we can go. We can go to the point where we, 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 we ascertain, you know, along what with them, what they have gotten, and we pull the truth forward. And, and in a sense, we're redeeming that we're seeing that right. as God's truth. And it leads us to, to evangelism, to praise, yeah. to glory. It's the missiological like use they talked about in the last yeah. chapter. Yeah. Yeah. But they're getting led a different way with their darkened mind. Well, you so, see that. So, which is why, so we have to be so careful when we do right. enter into the world of philosophy, you know, what, what are we, what are we buying? What are we bringing aboard? Right. Well, and I think to illustrate your point, again, going to Acts 17 and Paul on Mars Hill, you see that very thing uh, it, is that he quotes their philosophers uh, approvingly in, in what they affirm in terms of the common brotherhood of man. Not in the sense that, not in the sense that uh, he, he affirms that in the sense that we all come from a, come from a common source, uh, that there is one point of origin for all people. And in that sense, then we're all brothers in the sense that we share that humanity. And then he goes on and, and uh, talks about um, uh, talks about the universal uh, uh, religious quest that is within us as a part of our conscience and as a part of the image of God, the marred image of God within us. 
our life is constantly in the process of reaching out. Uh, and it, and in the case of the Greeks, it, it ends in idolatry. But the thing to illustrate the point that you're making there uh, is that he doesn't stop there. That's not, that's not far enough. Uh, he then begins to talk about the resurrection and talking about the fact you know, that this, not, this life is not all there is. That ultimate, that, that ultimate meaning and value in life is not determined by pleasure, not determined by uh, reason. It's not determined by any of the controlling factors of the Greek philosophers. Uh, it's determined by the fact that Christ Jesus died for our sins um, and that we really only know new life and we only really know new truth uh, whenever we come to terms uh, in a saving way with that truth. And at that point, then, as Luke says in Acts, I mean, they laughed at him, mocked, pointed at him, dismissed him. Uh, but it's interesting at the end of that, he says, uh, he says, some of them says, well, we'll hear you on another day. Again, maybe it's in the view that he'll change his opinion. I don't know. Maybe they think very often people think that uh, having uh, in their minds refuted our arguments that we'll come back and, and be and be corrected, but certainly it was the other way around. Um, getting to the second part of this, I know we've overlabored this, but the, the but the role of science. Um, I think he makes a good point there in the fact that true science is Christian in nature, and also I think, and I can't put my finger on it immediately, uh, but here I either quote it directly or paraphrase it. He says science really is philosophy. And I think that's I think that's where we make a mistake and certainly where the modern scientific community makes that as well. Uh, it's a way of knowing one way of knowing um, it is a regular systematic way of assessing uh, by in, in an experimental manner phenomenon to see causes and then to infer a, a, a conditional truth from that conditional in the sense that Beakey makes a great deal of that in the sense that any scientific truth, the idea of calling it settled science is an oxymoron. It's not. There is no settled science. Ask Galileo. I think he had a wonderful discussion of Galileo and uh, as opposed to the Copernican view, both of them were believers. Galileo was, was uh, he affirmed that his view came from God, even though uh the Bible talks in phenomenological ways about the four corners of the world and uses language that would suggest that the earth is flat. Uh, he says, Galileo. <laughs> now you're getting into what now? <laughs> yeah, <Earth>. exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, Galileo would affirm, yeah, we can agree on the fact that God created the world, but uh, let's look at this, that, uh, you know, that everything, uh, the idea that Copernicus has that everything revolves around the earth, uh, it's a convenient way, and certainly theologically, it expresses an important point: uh, is that the Earth is, is is God's footstool. In other words, it is uh, from the perspective of the biblical witness. I, I mean, it is every the, in terms of divine activity and attention, it is at the center of that. And so, then uh, it's a natural inference from, from that inference from that to think that. Uh, that everything around us in terms of the revolution of the stars, the sun, the moon, and so forth is in relationship to that. Whereas Galileo takes a larger view of that 
puts us in our place and then looks at the expanse of the universe and of the stars and say, you know, um, making another theological point, And that is that we are, we are that, even though we are made in the image of God and redeemed by Jesus Christ in, in the, in all the aspects of things, I mean, we are part of a larger expansive universe of which there is great mystery, but the th thing is in general revelation, we know the God, that God, we know that whatever is out there, we need not wonder or fear about because we know that if there, that if there is life on Mars, uh, that they are, that they are bound by the same righteous requirements we are, <laughs> uh, that, uh, that, uh, the God who has revealed himself in creation to us has revealed himself to them as well. And if they are not in obedience to that, then, uh, they're in the same condition we are. So uh, that, that opens up a whole new can of worms that I think Clint introduced when he was here. So, uh, <laughs> but, but again, we'll, we'll reserve that for another time. Uh, maybe our next book would be, uh, well, I won't get into that. I was thinking either Heiser or, uh, or our friend. Uh, uh, but anyway, um, and so the, the, the scientific method he talked, and I think to summarize it, and I know we need to wrap this up here, but to summarize it, I, I think that he makes the point that we all know is that science is a wonderful is a wonderful calling for a Christian. Many of the early many of the early uh, scientists that were influential in modern science actually were Christians, and it was a very it was a very worldview from which they not only had the natural curiosity, the, the curiosity in order to explore God's creation, uh, but the ability to understand our limitations and to understand that the very thing that we're talking about here, and that is a scientific observation, the proving of, uh, the proving, uh, uh, the proving of a hypothesis uh, is indeed uh, something that we can depend upon to investigate our world. Mm -hmm. until we find something to the contrary, which again sells us that it is not ultimate. No scientific truth is ultimate. God is ultimate. And to the extent that he allows us the opportunity, um, uh, the intellectual curiosity, the humility of spirit in order to, in, in order to study it, uh, to that degree, then it is, a, it is a wonderful endeavor. It is God glorifying. And science is helpful to us to the extent that it is like philosophy, that it's a handmaid of theology and of the things we affirm of God. And we know by all three modes of revelation that we've been talking about. So wonderful chapter, I thought. And again, uh, so much he could have done there. And that's true of every chapter that he does. I mean, he, as you often talk about in sermon preparation, there's so much that hits the, hits the cutting room floor. And, and, and just think about this again, just think about how many volumes and how thick they'd be if, if he didn't, if he didn't edit this. That's right. That's right. Thank you, brother. Well, what I want to do is just to sort of wrap us up. I just want to read uh, what he has at the very end of, of the chapter we're looking at. And then Mike, if I could just toss it to you, if you got, if you have any concluding thoughts, uh, just 
give those. And then if you would just close us in prayer, if you would, brother. But uh, I love how at the end of every chapter, he's got a doxological portion. Right. Marvin, I believe you you touched on that before. And oftentimes he's got a hymn or a song, you know, yeah. that is yeah. there that that embodies, you know, the the subject matter that he's been talking about. And I think this one is on page 228 is great. Uh, uh, it's the sing to the Lord section and it's God's glory revealed in creation. And I'm not going to sing this. So I don't want anyone to run away, but I'll just well, read this. I, I tell you what, if you're even, if you even know the tune to it, I'd be impressed. <laughs> I have no idea. No, idea. I don't either. I, 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 I really, I haven't gone and what's well, in the Baptist training hymnals. I should look it up on YouTube after we get off of here and see yeah, how you have somebody else goes. For us, yeah. yeah. But it says this, okay. So God's glory revealed in creation. It says, Oh Lord, how manifold the works in wisdom wrought by thee, the wealth of thy creation fills the earth and mighty sea. Let God rejoice in all his works and let his works proclaim forevermore their makers praise and glorify his name. While life shall last, my thankful lips, a song to God will raise. And while my being I possess, my maker I will praise. My heart shall think upon his grace in meditation sweet, my soul rejoicing in the Lord, his praises shall repeat. What just a wonderful way to codify God's creation. And I love the beginning of that second verse. We touched on that. It says, let God rejoice in all his works, God himself, we're not only rejoicing in his works, but God himself rejoices in all his works. So Mike, we'll toss it to you, brother, final thoughts, final words. Well, the, uh, I guess final thoughts is uh, these sessions that we do, I've just, I really appreciate it. I, I uh, value the, the, the discussion we have. Uh, I, I, uh, I definitely am uh, uh, enriched and edified from the discussion and the reading, As um, I, yeah. and I, I really appreciate the, the two, of, uh, two of my brothers in Christ and what we do uh, during this uh, hour plus, uh, and uh, I'm, just, I'm just so thankful and uh, blessed, uh, and I, I thank you. Thank you. Well, thank amen. You and, and, yeah, and I appreciate both your willingness to do it and to do to do this in this format instead of us three just meeting together where we do it in a format, we share it with other people, and it's as if they kind of get to eavesdrop on our little get-together, you know, talking about these things. And I pray that they're edified as well. And for those of you wondering why I haven't drunk more coffee, I, I just – that was a failure on my part. I dropped the ball on that. I only had <laughs> half a cup to start with. But again, I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you one of those. How about that? There you go. He'll have to make up for it next time. But Mike, <laughs> Mike's going to feed my habit later this morning. Yes, so. that's right. I am. Yeah, yeah. Oh, there he's, you go. He, he's got he's he's got a he's got a new he's got a new brand there. We're going to try out. Yeah. Oh, look out! So next week you got to make up for it. you got to have like an a coffee IV feeding into that carotid artery there, right? Uh, that's uh, hey, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It might eventually get to that, but you know, I, I want to build up to it. Okay. All right. All right, Mike, brother, if, if no other thoughts or, or anything you want to add, just uh, go ahead and close us out brother in prayer. Would it? Let's pray. Heavenly father, thank you for just the, the blessing of this day and where the blessing of your, your creation, the, the, just the, the, your, how your creation testifies to your existence, Lord. And Lord, I, I just thank you for your creation, the witness it has of your existence and that all man is without excuse, Lord. Lord, I thank you that you 
uh, enlightened us and 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 draw us, drew us near to you, Lord, and uh, so that we could see uh, you within your the special revelation, and Lord, that, that you 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 opened our hearts and 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 gave us clear vision to see and to respond to your call, Lord. And I, I thank you for that. I thank you for our salvation. May we not take it for granted. May we always uh, work to be obedient to your commands and your statutes. May we always love and, and savor your word, Lord, uh, that is written on our hearts, Lord. And as we talked about, Lord, it's just, it's just an, uh, just a, an awesome uh, awesomeness of, of your great love and your mercy and your grace that you've bestowed upon us, Lord. Lord, I thank you for um, the just the, your, your written word. I thank you that we have authors who write and expound on that, that complement your word, that do not replace your word, but complement and, and explain it from, from their study, Lord, and, and how that can edify and, and just increase our, our, our knowledge. But more important, Lord, but it would be the increase of our, our knowing you and our and the the maturity of our relationship with you, our love for you, our how we give praise and glory to you is it is it um, uh, increases uh, as we mature in our walk with you, Lord. Lord, thank you for this day again, Lord. As we continue our daily activities, watch over, protect us, uh, give us the wisdom that we need uh, to make decisions and set priorities. For it's in your name, I pray. Amen. 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 All right. Amen. All right. I'm you, making brother. I'm making a pledge for next time that I'm not going to get bogged down in the excursus. Uh, <laughs> that might be a hard I'll, one to I'll, keep. I know it will be. Again, I'm I'm good, but I'm going to do the best I can. Yeah. All right. Naturally. All right. Lord bless you guys.